Philippians chapter 1 this morning, verses 1 through 11. This is our second to last sermon in our series called Working for the Lord, where we've been exploring what the Bible says about what we spend most of our time doing every week. It's been so good to hear from so many of you that this series has helped you at your work all fall, and I hope that it continues to bear fruit. Even though this series will end next Sunday, Lord willing, I plan to continue to bring applications to our work lives just about every Sunday from now on. I've been convicted that there needs to be a closer connection and application between what we read on Sunday mornings and what we live out on Monday through Saturday. So listen each week, even after this series is over, for more direct application of how the truths we discover in our Bibles on Sunday mornings get lived out at work on Monday morning. And I was serious when I said last week that I'd like to visit you at your workplace. I've come to understand that my job as pastor is more than just shepherding in homes and hospitals, but also in the marketplace. I'd love to drop by your job and learn more about what you do, and also to pray for you there and to meet your co-workers. Co-workers are the subject of today's message. Last week I said that many of you in those sermon series Uh, sermon surveys we handed out have asked for wisdom on relating to your teammates on the job. So that's what today's message is all about, and we're going to study the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 1 to gain some wisdom on that. But first, there is another group of workers that I'd like to recognize. Every week in this series, we've been asking different kinds of workers to stand and Be celebrated for your unique contribution to the common good and for your calling to work for the Lord and not for men. Last week we asked everyone who interacts directly with the public to stand. Kind of that front room mentality. Today I want to do the opposite. I want to ask the folks who often work in the back room to stand. And here I'm thinking today of IT professionals, information technology folks, Tech folks, or as we lovingly call them, geeks. Office workers. If you work in an office and you're in that back room kind of making things happen. Here I'm thinking of management people. Folks that often sit in the back room and have to make out schedules and balance a checkbook and make personnel decisions. You may not be the face or voice of the company, but if you folks in the back rooms don't do your job, then nothing works. And no one gets paid. You are often the unseen engine that empowers the company. So would you back room type folks please stand and be recognized? Thank you for your contribution. And thank you for serving the Lord in your work. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. That's what we've been learning. Whether anybody else notices it or not, thank you for doing your job for Him. And for His glory. And thank you for putting up with your co-workers. I know that's not always easy. Let's read Philippians chapter 1 now and see what we have here in verses 1 through 11. Do you have it? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the Gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the Gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Would you pray with me? And this is my prayer. That Lance Free Church's love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day You return, Jesus. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through You, Jesus, to the glory and praise of our Father. Would You do that, Lord, in us this morning through the preaching of Your Word and the receiving of Your Word? Implant Your Word in our souls this morning, Lord, and help it to make it take root so that we are different people because we've met with You and heard You speak to us. We pray it in the powerful name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Most of us have co-workers. Most of us have co-workers. There are a few people who work completely alone. But most of us have some kind of a team that we do our work with. Now, maybe our co-workers do a very different part of the job than we do. Some are front office and some are back office. Some are labor, some are management. Some are highly skilled, others not. But most of us have other people that we do our work with. We work on some kind of a team. And when that team is working well, it can be terrific. That was the Apostle Paul's experience with his gospel sharing team, wasn't it? Verses 1 through 8 of our text for today reveal how deeply thankful Paul was for the team that he was on. When Paul sat down for his Thanksgiving dinner, like we all did on Thursday, and counted his blessings, his co-laborers in Christ were near the top of his list. Look at verse 1 again. Paul and Timothy, servants together of Christ Jesus. It's the Lord Christ you're serving. To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, all of them, together with the overseers and deacons, the leadership there. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. Every time he thought about these guys, he was filled with thanksgiving. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the Gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I had a missionary friend send me these very verses this week to express his thanksgiving that we are in partnership with him in his Gospel work. 
Whenever Paul thought about his co-workers at Philippi, he was thankful. Whenever Paul thought about his partners in his gospel work, he was filled not just with confidence that God would complete his work in them, but gratitude that they got to work together for the Lord. Does that describe you and your situation at work? Now, Paul was specifically talking about gospel work here. This is the work of the church. This is missions. But the principle carries over into our vocations as well, doesn't it? Because all of our work is ministry, right? That's what we've been learning all fall. At least it should be. It is the same Lord Christ we are serving on all of our jobs. So it is possible to feel this way about our co-workers today. And I know that many of you do. I see your posts on social media about how thankful you are to work with so many great people every day. I see you celebrate the accomplishments of your team at work. And my heart rejoices with you that you have something good to exult in and teammates to exult with. Let's look and see how much Paul felt this. Verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Why? Since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now that last phrase in the Greek is literally with the entrails of Christ Jesus. He's saying, I love you guys with all of Jesus' guts. That's how I feel about all of you here at Lance Free Church. Because we are all co-workers in the Gospel, just like Paul and the Philippians. So when that team is working well, it can be just terrific. But it doesn't always work that way, does it? What about the times when it's difficult to get along with your co-workers? Last week I joked that the sixth commandment was about dealing with co-workers. Thou shalt not murder, right? This week I was at a store and I saw this poster hanging up on the wall. It's hard to soar like an eagle when you're surrounded by turkeys. A number of you have asked for help with dealing with difficult co-workers in the survey sheets we put out. I got this in my email the other day, mostly tongue-in-cheek, I hope. Quote, How do we work for the Lord and maintain our level of compassion and Christianity when all we want to do is strangle our co-workers? And now you have a glimpse of my work week too, end quote. I assume that many of you can relate to that question. Sometimes it's not the work that's so hard, it's who we have to work with. So what do you do? What do you do with a difficult co-worker or difficult co-workers? The answer, the biblical answer is, it depends. Right? I mean, what kind of a difficult co-worker do you have? What is the situation? What is your relationship with this co-worker? How often do they do that which is problematic? Is it just annoying or is it sinful and wrong? Is it unethical and immoral or is it just a way of doing things differently than how you would do it? Is it how they dress and act? Is it how they act on the job when they're there, when you're there together or when they're not on the job? but you have to deal with it. What drives their difficult behaviors? What's the root problem? And what is your responsibility to them? What are you expected to do or not to do? You see how it depends? 
There's no one-size-fits-all answer to those questions. I wish I could say, here's how you deal with a difficult coworker in six easy steps. But life is messier than that. And the Bible's wisdom is richer than that as well. It depends. So what you need is wisdom. What you need is wisdom. And the Bible says there are two main ways to get wisdom. One is to dig for it in God's Word. And two is to pray for it that God would give wisdom to you. And those are not mutually exclusive. They are both and. Dig for wisdom in God's Word and pray that God would graciously give it to you. So if you're having trouble on the job with your co-workers, you should be ransacking your Bible for wisdom. Let me recommend to you especially the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is chock full of wisdom for relating to difficult co-workers. The Proverbs have a word for folks like that. It calls them the fool. And sometimes we act like the fool. And sometimes interact with others who are being foolish. I highly recommend that you go through the book of Proverbs and underline every verse that says how to relate to a fool. You will find all kinds of wisdom for on the job. Proverbs was written by men for young men, especially those that are gifts getting ready to enter into the workforce. This is why our youth, Bible, our youth boys class on Wednesday night studies Proverbs to get them ready for working in the real world. The Bible gives us, the Proverbs gives us all kind of wisdom for on the job. How to answer a fool, how not to answer a fool. How and when to send a fool on a mission or with a message. How to talk to a fool and how not to talk to one. What to share with them and what not to. And how to not be a fool. Very important that we ourselves not become the difficult co-workers who are so hard to work with. Like the slacker, like the sluggard. We learned earlier in this series, right? Don't be that guy. So again, if you're struggling to work with a difficult co-worker, then the book of Proverbs will be your friend. Dig in, dig in, dig in. Like you're digging for gold. But don't just read your Bible. Talk with the author as well. The second way the Bible says to get wisdom is we need to ask God for it. That's what James says, right, in his chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. And that's also where Paul goes next in verses 9-11 through of Philippians 1. Paul explains what he regularly prays for the Philippian church. And somewhat surprisingly, it's a prayer for wise love. Or what I've often called smart love. Smart love. Because even though Paul was experiencing gratitude and joy for his partnership and ministry with the Philippians, the Philippians themselves were experiencing some level of conflict within the church. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we read chapter 2 together and talked about our attitude at work. That we need to develop a servant attitude and not complain or grumble. And it appears that two key lady leaders at Philippi were in a quarrel with one another. Chapter 4 gives us their names of Euodia and Syntyche. And there were probably others who were struggling to get along with each other. It was one of the reasons why Paul wrote this letter to them, to try to help them to work it out. The Philippians needed God to give them wisdom for loving each other. Let's read again verses 9 through 11. And this is my prayer. 
that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Point number one of three this morning. Pray for a growing smart love. Pray for a growing smart love. In dealing with difficult co-workers, we need to be regularly praying to God that He would grant us a growing and wise kind of love. You see that in verse 9. Paul says that he prays that your love may abound more and more. So that's where I get the word growing, that it would grow. Paul prays that they would not have a small love, but a big love and an increasingly larger love. Do you pray that? Do you pray that you would love your difficult co-workers? We should. Not just the ones that we enjoy. They're easy to love. We give thanks for them. And not just the co-workers who are basically okay but annoying. Our Lord Jesus said that we are to love our enemies. And that's not just ISIS. That's loving the co-worker who stabs you in the back when you aren't watching. That's loving the co-worker who is vying for your job. That's loving the co-worker who took credit for your work. That's loving the co-worker who said those nasty things about you last week. Our Lord Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. It makes sense that we would pray for ourselves, that we would love, that our love for them would grow. One of our regular prayer requests should be that our love would be larger today than it was last year. Do you love others on the job more today than you did a year ago? The word for abound here in verse 9 is parasuo. It's the root word that I once demonstrated by overfilling a cup of water up here on the stage. Some of you will remember that. It means to be full to overflowing. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. That's what I call smart love. We don't tend to put those things together, smart and love, but they absolutely should go together. The Greek word for love here is agape. And that's the word that the New Testament writers go to the most to describe the kind of sacrificial love that God demonstrated for us in Christ and that we are to grow in for others. 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. David Powelson calls it contra-conditional love. Love that goes against all expectations and deserts. He says it's better than unconditional love. This is a love that shows commitment even though the person being loved not only does nothing to deserve it, the person being loved actually does things to deserve the opposite of our love. This is a love that is committed to what is best for the other person, regardless of the personal cost, regardless of the sacrifice. A love that goes beyond feelings, and even in spite of feelings, to commitment. And Paul prays that this growing love would be smart. That their love would abound more and more, what does he say? In knowledge and depth of insight. You ever put those things together? We tend to think of love as this feeling, right? Affection, this this mushy thing that kind of comes out of us and wells up, right? But when, when the Bible talks about love, especially this word agape, it's much more of a commitment. It's much more of a going after what's best for somebody else. And here he, he couples it with being smart, being wise, 
doing it in knowledge and depth of insight. Paul prays that the Philippians' love would be smart, that they would love in knowledge, that they would love, King James says, in all judgment, in depth of insight. A smart kind of love. What does that mean? Well, think for a second about the opposite. Not just a sentimental kind of love, not just a dumb, bland love, not just a mushy love that doesn't know what it's trying to accomplish. I love you, man. Right? This is a love that has its head about it. This is a love that knows what it's doing. This is a smart love, a wise love, a love that can really achieve its aim. Do you see why that's the kind of love that we need on the job? Love that knows what it's doing. Have you ever struggled to know how to love someone? I sure have. Lots of times. I often say, I don't know where to start with so-and-so. I know that my job is to love them, but I don't know how. I maybe even feel some love for them, some affection, but I don't know the best way to express it. What would really help them in this situation? What would really hit the spot? Paul says that we need to be praying about that. Praying for that. This is a prayer that we would grow in our ability to know how to love intelligently, to love wisely, to love in knowledge and depth of insight, so that, verse 10, you may be able to discern what is best. How often do we do that about our work? How often do we do that about our relationships with our co-workers? I think that most of the time we pray that our co-workers would smarten up. But this is a prayer that we would smarten up and be better able to love them well. Why is this smart love so important? Well, Paul gives two main reasons, and they are our last two points. One is super important for us, and the other is ultimately important in the universe. Number two, so we grow in Christ-likeness. So we grow in Christ-likeness. Verse 10, we should pray for a growing smart love for our co-workers so that we would grow in Christ-likeness. Look at verse 10. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Why? So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You see that so that in verse 10? It's very important. This smart love makes us able to discern or literally to prove and approve and choose what is best. Not just what is good, but what is best. Remember, the good is often the enemy of the best. And this is a prayer that we would be able to smart love in such a way as to recognize the best. So when you walk in the doors at work tomorrow and you see that person, not only are you praying that that person wouldn't rub you the wrong way, but you would be praying that you would know the right thing to say, the right way to show love to that person, what is excellent, what is most suitable, what's most favorable, the most God-pleasing, the wisest, the best thing to choose. And then to choose that in such a way that we would live, verse 10, pure and blameless until or in view of the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. This is growing in Christ-likeness. Paul prays that the Philippians would grow in smart love so that they would more and more look like Jesus on the job. Jesus, more than anyone, has smart love. 
He always knew what to say, what to feel, what to do, how to love in knowledge and depth of insight. Jesus, more than anyone, was pure and blameless. He was totally holy and perfect in every way. Wouldn't you love to be Jesus on the job? That's what we're supposed to do. Jesus, more than anyone, was filled with the fruit of righteousness. His words, His actions, His choices, His behaviors. His fruit was perfectly characterized by righteousness. So sometimes we set our standard at, I hope to not kill anybody today at work, right? You know, here's my coffee, now back off, right? This says, set your standard at holiness on the job. On on being like Christ. And we're supposed to pray that we would grow in Christ-likeness until the day of Christ, when Christ's glory is fully revealed. What would that do on our jobs if that was us? It would point people to Jesus, wouldn't it? If you and I, as His servants, look more and more like our Master, our co-workers would be more and more drawn to our Master. What does Jesus look like? Well, take the fruit of the Spirit for one. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what we will look like if we're becoming like Christ. And if we follow the wisdom that God has given for us to live out. Often the co-workers that have been given to us are for our sanctification. Let me say that again. Often the co-workers that have been given to us are for our sanctification. God has providentially provided these particular co-workers so that we would pray for smart love and grow in that love so that we would become holy in new ways. Ways we weren't before. Pure and blameless filled with the fruit of righteousness, in ways that we never would have been if God hadn't plunked us down with these particular co-workers. Does that help at all? As you're looking at this next week, it doesn't mean that they aren't difficult. In fact, they could be really bad. One of Jesus' co-workers betrayed Him. But it does mean that God wants us to use even them. God wants to use even them to refine us. And that's what we ought to pray. Let me give you some good news before we look at the last point. This work of producing Christ-likeness in you is God's work. And if you belong to God, He's committed to doing it in you. I love that little phrase that's easy to miss in verse 11. It's this one. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. You see, the Lord is the one who's doing this work. We are called to pray and to cooperate, but God is the one doing it. Remember verse 6, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Who began this work? God did. Who carries it on to completion? God does. And when is this work done? Today? No, until or towards the day of Christ Jesus. That's the same day that our purity and blamelessness is aimed at. That's the same Christ who is producing in us the fruit of righteousness. It comes from Him And it's for Him. And we can rest on Him to produce it in us. So good news. You don't have to be perfect tomorrow at work. That's the goal. Strive for it. But it's Christ who does it in you. Verse 11. The fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Notice notice how much it is. Filled. Filled. Normally we'd say bearing the fruit of righteousness. But Paul doesn't just see one apple on the fruit tree. Paul sees God producing a bucket full of fruit from the work of Jesus in our lives. An orchard full of fruit. 
filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. You may be discouraged today that you haven't grown on the job like you think you should. But I want to encourage you, if you belong to Jesus, He is busy completing His good work that He's begun in you. He wants to fill you with good fruit for His day. Why? There is a more ultimate reason that we pray this way than to just grow in Christ-likeness and spiritual maturity. It's God's glory. Look at verse 11. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the right fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Point three, so God would get the glory and the praise. We should pray for this growing smart love for our co-workers in order that when all is said and done, God would get the praise and the glory from our life and from our work. This is the ultimate reason for Jesus' work in our life. And it should be the ultimate motive in our prayers and our growth in Christ-likeness and our relationships with our co-workers and our work. That God would get the ultimate in praise and glory forever. Is that why you go to work? Is that why you relate to your co-workers? It's not just to pay the bills. It's not just to get things done. It's so that God gets the praise and glory that He deserves forever and ever. That perspective changes everything, doesn't it? So that difficult co-worker is not just there to give you trouble. He or she is not even just there so that you could grow in Christ-likeness while you relate to them in love. They are there ultimately so that when you respond with smart love, And when you grow in your ability to discern what is best and become like Jesus, God gets the glory for it all. If that's your everyday goal in your working relationships, then you can't go wrong. You may not know how to fix things, and things may not get better, but God will get the glory. And that's what counts the most for all eternity.